So Deacon Christopher Major, when it comes to how we lost our sense of sacred, some of the things that we lost along the way, and, and how can we recover it? What are some of those things that come to mind for you in regards to this, this three-part topic? Well, you know, David, again, sacredness is about separation. It's about being holy and distinct from what the world we see tells us what is truth. We've lost Christ in that way. So the only way we're really going to bring sacredness back is to be in church, in church in silence and in prayer, and to know who Jesus is and to know what Jesus truly asks of us. Not everyone is going to be saved. I think that's one of the greatest lies that we have in our society is that the preachers and the pastors are saying, we love everyone, no matter who you are, Jesus loved everyone. That is not faith. That is not sacred and it's not holy. How can you love everyone if everyone's doing the same illicit, sinful behaviors? And I think that's where we parse the people, that parting of the sea, if you will, each side, one side or the other. Everyone must come together in Christ. So to bring it back, I find that we need to be in prayer and we need to be in silence. We need to find places where we go that we can turn off the noise of the corporate media and the corporate world that tells us that everything you need and everything you have, we can provide for you. I think part of that bringing back sacredness is turning off the television. Getting those images and those sinful things off TV. I don't even watch sports anymore. I very rarely watch any news or TV. I have no need for those things because they don't really rally my soul. You know, I, a lot of times I believe that to be sacred is about self-denial. Thinking of others before myself. Sacrifice. Now, you can have people, and I'll bring my father, God bless his soul. He taught me everything about being sacred while I was running away from the church. I was that African-American kid getting all of those external rewards from people. 97% white Catholic school, first black president in 78. I was Obama before Obama. But I forgot why they cared about me. They cared about me because I spoke truth. As I grew and became more successful, I believe I was like one of you. I'm like you now. I look at me. I, Father would say, no, that's not true, son. Never forget who you are. And in a moment in my life, I did forget that. I forgot that I, I was uniquely different as an African-American young man in this world to be chasing all of these fake ribbons and all these fake glories, that my life and who I was was a person of truth. So in 78, when I was elected president, I realized as I went through my road and my fall in life, and we all fall. And I think that's one of the greatest things you ask this question. How do we get back to the sacredness? You first have to understand that you're a sinner. You need God. You cannot do the things you want in this world without Jesus Christ guiding you in a sinful, nasty, deplorable, vicious world. There's so much sin and so much dirt that tells us that you are better than the other guy if you have this, and that's not the message of Christ. So until we come to Jesus and know, hey, you know what? I'm sick. I'm sick. 
People who are not sick don't need a physician. And as long as the world believes that they're not sick, that they keep pushing and driving and driving for goals that will not save them, we'll never get back to a place where we really see each other. And this is important in the image and likeness of Christ. Do you see that bum on the street as a marketing ability to gain more tax dollars through a capitalistic system that will feed my life? Or do you see him in the image and likeness of Christ and want to hold his hand? There's so much going on today in terms of how we deal with the poor, how we deal with the hurt. People have now become marketing ploys. They're now just chips on a gambling table, you know, just all in. How many hundreds of millions can we gain in money from people and tug at their hearts, telling them this is what Jesus wants you to do? Jesus doesn't want you to do all of that and write checks. Jesus wants you to change your life and align yourself to his word. And in aligning yourself to his word, you will bring other people to the light. You bring them out of that darkness. And I think that's where Christ's message is so powerful today. His strength of saying, no, I want to be separate and holy. I want to be innocent. I don't want to tell these children today that if you go to college, you're going to have everything you want. And that's the lie today. Think about how many children have fed into that lie over the last 10 to 15 years with the kind of exorbitant tuitions they pay on this promise that somehow this intellectual education is somehow going to change humanity. And it hasn't. We see that every day. So in my life, I say the clergy must stop appeasing people to be liked. Being liked is not the ultimate goal of people in holy orders or pastors or preachers who preach the word. We are sinners. We are liars. We are cheats. We have thoughts and inappropriate behaviors that we do that are not in alignment with salvation history. And the idea here that people talk about in eternity is if, you, if that's too big for most of these kids or most of these people in schools, salvation, history, eternity, man, I got to live today. I got to put food on my table. Then you have to turn yourself around and say, am I happy? Am I happy living the life that I'm living? My eyes is the world has gone too fast. The world has gone way too fast. And that the human condition is not built for what we're doing with the kind of intellectual computer AI, the thinking. It's almost like it's overrunning our human existence that we can't keep up with a computer. And why would you want to? Why would you want to keep up with a computer when you have a human being sitting right next to you? And I think that's one of the things when you talk about how do we bring people back? One of the things we realized or we thought about since I was a child how do I get people to see that African-Americans are no different than you? How do I see, how do I get people to see me as an individual person different than a color that they have to be afraid of or to stop in the store, do the things that we know have all been researched about how people see people of color? And the only way, the thing I said to myself was, it's children. When we see a child, 
everybody loves the innocence and the youth of a child. And that's where we all, I think, need to get back to of being present with children. The other thing I realized, too, is that, you know what? A lot of people out there in the world who are African-American, black, don't play chess. They don't play and sit down with each other. So I developed that program, as you know, which is not, that's not what this is about. But what it helped me understand is that being in front of that child every day, I'm like his parent. Mom has gone to work since the 70s. Dad has gone to work since the 70s. This is how we got here. And by the time Reagan came in, in the 80s, we had the latchkey syndrome. Nobody was home at the nest to process the youth day. So now what we have today, which is like a cottage industry, women have a baby, they hang out for six months a year, they go to work, they send them to foster care or they send them to daycare. So we have a whole group of young children who are not being nurtured or have not been nurtured over 50 years with no presence in the home, nobody to guide them or tell them what is right and what is wrong. So where are we getting our images from? From the media. Again, to return to the sacred values, we return to the idea that God is our greatest source of information and light. But Deacon Christopher, and one of the things that you, you touched on that relates exactly to that last point you just said was it con concerns artificial intelligence. And I suppose we don't have to get deep into the minutiae and everything like that, but just the bigger idea itself. And I want to ask you, why is it that you think that the human beings, at least in this age, we're always trying to, we have this drive to create something greater than ourselves in, 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 a, in a type of way we seem to want to like create God, like we're pursuing this artificial intelligence that can process things faster than us, that can think faster than us, that can think on multi-dimensional sort of levels and compute things. We, we, we want to create something greater than ourselves rather than pursue something greater than ourselves and sense of the divine. And so rather than pursue the sacred, that, that, that which is divine, that which comes from God, we want to pursue that which comes from us. Rather than pursue God who is greater than us, we want to create something greater than us. It's like we're trying to imitate God in this way, that we're trying to recapture what Eve wanted to do. Why Why does is this, does this relate in some way to sin in some of our inclinations? I think the idea of artificial intelligence is very dangerous. It's a sign that people are truly giving up their souls and their consciousness to an entity that they cannot see, cannot touch, cannot believe in. I believe that AI and artificial intelligence is a sign of how tired the people are of trying to keep up with the technology. I don't think that the human condition is built for this kind of speed. I don't think the human brain overall, you may have a group of individuals who like the separation of the human interaction, and they may see themselves as powerful in doing that because they don't see the power of God and Christ within all of us as we share a, a fellowship and a humanity. So they want to rip that humanity apart from us and allow another God, as you indicated, another God to be their leader and it won't work. The human condition is about each and every one of us because 
the greatest glory that we have in this world is the pursuit of the highest God. To know God, to know relationship, to know who we are within each other's existence. When you start pulling that away from people, those who have little faith will fall away. Those who have strong faith will realize this is not the kind of happiness that I want. You cannot create happiness on a computer and a machine over the greatness of being together in community and sharing in Christ. That's why we as Catholics believe in the Eucharist. We believe in the power of coming together in relationship, sharing our issues, sharing our problems, sharing our difficulties, and being strengthened in Christ. Again, sacredness versus world allurements. Sacredness, holiness, and innocence is about separating yourself from materialism. Those things that they want to tell you that will give you your ultimate happiness. And if we think about the world today in just real practical terms, the poorest of the poor in our world, in the West anyway, have more technological advancements and live a better lifestyle than the richest of the rich 100 years ago. But that has not created peace on our borders. And for all the individuals, I think, who listen to this, I think the number one thing we can commonality of experience. I spoke earlier about children, the love of a child, the innocence of a child, the sweetness of a child we all gravitate to. We all smile when we see that baby in a carriage. What are we smiling at? Ask yourself. You're smiling at something that you've lost. You're smiling at the innocence of a baby's future, the brightness of the potential of that future. That's the glory that we all look at. That's the beauty of mother with her child. Simply put, that is what sacred is. And the, alas, look what we're doing with abortion. And I believe honestly that all we're seeing in the West and all we're seeing with immigration is God's vengeance on the West for killing the babies that we kill. We are now seeing that trying to do population control doesn't create peace. Trying to limit one group of people's ability to produce children doesn't create peace. I think it creates anger and it creates hurt. They talk about murder and how it affects not only the persons that are involved, but it also affects the extended family members that creates that pain. I imagine what abortion does, not just to the woman, but to the man who produced the child. And as they go on in their lives, that the stain of the extended family that don't share in the nature of that baby's birth. So my idea here today is to have people think that to get back to the simplicity of being out in nature, looking at what all God has created, looking at the individuals around you that share this life with you. And are you looking at them in the same dignity and humanity in the creation of what God's image is? that these are people of peace and love. And the only way we're gonna get there, I believe personally, is if we get young people today calling out the sinful nature of our leaders and our politicians, including the religious leaders, your political leaders, the health profession, and we as a people get back together and hold hands and say, this is what creates the peace in our heart that we want. Not to have that extra car, 
that extra materialism. The college I go to is more expensive than the college this guy went to. You can see how everything in our world has come to an external and not an internal. And I grew up in a world, like I say earlier in the 70s, where I believe that people where racism has always been here. We've just taken it to another level where we weaponized it to separate more people from each other. Mm. It's really interesting this to this dichotomy that you, you presented here. You say on one hand that there's there's two ideas of separation in this world. There's an idea that we want to separate um, from materialism. You say that that leads to saltiness, it leads to innocence. But then we look at a world, it seems like they want to separate from God. Um, um, and I think we can also relate this to um, Pope Leo XI and Pope Leo XIII. If you talked about this a lot with the Freemasons and their idea of separation of from church, from state. And um, but it was really the same idea. They wanted to separate um, really from the moral law. They wanted to create their own path, their own code and uh, separate from any sort of responsibility or any accountability. Just And it appears to be the same thing in, in this day and age that perhaps have we have we moved beyond just separation in church and state and are we just on this, is the world just on this new trajectory? Um, um, and, and is it, if, if we're trying to, if our path that you're setting forth is to separate from materialism and their path is towards materialism, um, what, what does this portend? Um, and what type of things, what, what, what kind of world, if this continues, what does the world look like moving forward with these two things? You have one group of people wanting to separate from materialism and pursue the sacred and, and um, a path towards innocence, a path towards saltiness. And then you have, it seems to be a large group of people that wants to separate from God on all types of levels and just pursue, um, pursue materialism. What, can a world like this even continue? Well, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of what God's word is. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And I am one of those that believes that what we're seeing today is a light for those to come to the church. So in posing your question the way you, that that group of people that continues to push and push and push for more, refinance their house, buy more good stuff, more things and things and things from generation to generation, they wither away as grass. They'll be gone. They're inconsequential in the overall scheme of the future. Now, for me as a man of God, and my heart breaks for that. That's why Christ wept for them. When he broke the bread of the 5,000, plus women and children, right? He wept for them. He took pity on them. So in that way, those materialistic people, listen up. You're not going to sustain it. Not just for yourself or your family member, your wife, but for your children. You cannot sustain that. That's what the message is today. It's unsustainable. 
It cannot go on. The world of the people who will separate and be holy and Christian will draw those away from materialism. They will pull them out of that darkness. That's the joy of the message of what you're saying to us today. It can be doom and gloom. It is doom and gloom. The world will exist that way. But eternally, what you get in this world is not what I look to. It's fleeting anyway. God knows how many great things. You can be 60 years old and look back at all the things you thought you were going to do in your life, and it ain't none of it's there. But God is still there waiting and calling. And I think that's the one message in your question. As a man of God, I have to say to people, stop the guilt and shame and anger and the fear of what you did in the past. Let it go. Get back to confession. Say, God, I am a sinner. Be propitious to me, O Lord. I am a sinner. Forgive me. I have left my wife. I left my two kids. I went off and made all this money. My kids are on drugs in the street. I am so, and then go back and try to make amends. But the first thing we have to do with those two worlds, the ones out there chasing materialism and sending it all to the next generation, because the next generation is already worried. I mean, this has been ongoing. They're not going to see the same level of wealth and materialism their family is. That's how I started thinking about this. Wait a minute. Wow. How's a kid in Marin going to spend a million and a half dollars coming out of Marin Catholic at $80,000 education, 90 grand for four years? People can't do it, and they're still pushing $90,000 for a high school education. And then you got to try to buy a home for $600,000. It's simple, simple here. We're going to come up with sixty grand and make $5,000 a month to afford a house as a school teacher. Well, because you spent ninety grand going to college to be a school teacher, to make eighty. So the lie is all out in front of us. But the glory is that the ones who will fall, those are the message from God. That's the light that God's giving us. You can see them. They are what you see dimly in a mirror. You're seeing all these people falling out, dying, suicide, kids can't make it. Man, I mean, I, I, I need to change my ways. And that's what we're talking about. Those group of people who are continuing to be sucked in, because see, I've been to Africa. I was in, I was in the airport, the air, the uh, in Belgium. The airport in Belgium. When I turned around, the guy said, German, French, English. I'm ignorant. I'm stupid. I don't travel. I'm an American, bro. I'm not German. Don't you know that? Don't you know I'm not French? Don't you know I'm not English? Idiot. And he looked at me, David, he went like this. Get over there. And I looked at him and it was that unspoken word, David. I said, why is he treating me like, why did he go? Because I turned around and behind me was a sea of all the planes coming in from Africa. See, and that was my moment. That was a God speaking to me. They all spoke German. Are you a German African? Are you a French African? Are you an English African? He wasn't even talking about my nation. Now, as a black American, have I ever perceived that there's 
a billion African-speaking German, French, English, Swiss. So people better wake up. They're coming. My father told me that in the 70s when we were talking about all the Iranians and these no they smell bad and all the world was talking about the whole Iranian crisis. And my father educated me. I didn't get it because I was in that dualist world allurement, material world. I didn't get what he was telling me. Boy, we've educated the world and they're coming to us. They're no longer that 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 every racially derogatory, you know, wet back that sand, sand, you know. I said, Dad, what's a sand in? Middle Eastern boy, don't you know? And so now here we are in 2023. And my father and I'm in Africa going, wow, they speak German, they speak English, they speak their native language. And they might, if they're really educated, they might speak a second foreign language, German and French. So what is the world saying? And this is where the world is operating today. The leaders of our world are trying to oppress those. Your question, you have a world of people that are believing, trying to be separate, still following, trying to search. And this whole material world is trying to suppress them. God is not going to let that happen. It's not going to happen. I feel it every day. I feel I see it just like when Martin Luther King on Newsmax. Best thing I've seen Newsmax News had Martin Luther King's speech. I've been to the mountaintop. And then I was in Africa. I said, now I get what he was saying. 68. I get what he was saying. You have all of these nations that we've educated, thinking that we can manipulate their communities and their cultures and make them, you know, understand that you're below us. And now as we've educated them with their social, moral values and their sacred and holiness, the Catholic Church, Nigeria, 94% church attendance. In America, 35%. 74% divorce rate in California, our pastor just said. So we are going through it. The change is happening. And those generations of parents who are producing children that did not give them the values their kids will have the opportunity to say, you know, mom and dad, you are wrong. I believe in God. He is my God. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's going to lead me to the best way morally to think. Because you got to understand, in my life path, it's a black man dealing mostly in Euro-white communities. I see their children. Their children have been denying them since 2008. That article I did at St. Mary's, I said that. Their kids don't know where they're going to live. How am I going to live in Petaluma or California? How am I going to buy a house? By the time they get to high school, they've quit. This is not sustainable. While mom and dad are going off, off and off and off, spending money, cars, vacation homes, vacations, clothes, their children are suffering. They're spending the money that's going to help supply their children with the same level of lifestyle they would have had because they've run off. They no longer were salt, but we can save these generation of children. We can save this group of children. We still have a group of government officials that want to bring everybody up and say working for us is better than working for God. But I think we're in a position now, even in Europe, I'm hearing 11% have faith. 89% of young people aren't even thinking about church. But the 11% in Europe, that 11% is strong. So it doesn't take a lot. We don't got to have 80% of the people turn over. All we need is that strong 11% to say, 
Look at the results you're getting from the life that you're living. And is that what you truly wanted to get? Is that the life that you wanted to live? Saturday night, nine, 10 partners a year, hanging out in the bar, trying to find a guy. Lies, lies, lies. Now you're 32, 31 years old and you wasted eight years out there partying. It's not over. God puts you through that so you can come to him for eternity. And even on our last days, we could be sinners and say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me. I am a sinner. And I am sorry for the things that I've done in the past. And I think we need that huge revival. But we cannot reform the church. People need to reform themselves. And Deacon Christopher Major, thank you for this um, this catechesis that you've been giving so far. And I have one more question I'd like to ask you. Because you had started off this, this lesson here on the sacred, saying that sin is what separates us from the sacred. And I was wondering, since you've been a deacon now, I wanted to, and the deacons, I think, are the closest thing that we have to the people. It's been that way since Acts, since the, since the, since the um, office was instituted by the apostles, that the deacons are close to the people. And I was, I was wondering, being close to the people, what, what are some of the things that you've seen um, in regards to their, their sense of the sacred their pursuit of the sacred and um, and just where we are as Catholics in America at this time. David, fantastic. Starting my second year as a deacon. Um, I'm in mass every day. As a matter of fact, in 15 minutes, I generally open the church for 830 mass, 715 here in America in the morning. But I'm in mass every day. And I can only say to you, when I first was called and asked that you'd be a good deacon, 2015, the first thing that seared through me was, oh my God, yeah, I could probably do this. What's it gonna take? Five years, 125 classes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it's gonna take more than that. So when you talk about what I've seen from the beginning, I had to tell myself, I had to reformulate myself to find those that are doing the walk that I wasn't doing at that time. Daily prayer every morning, the prayer group is what I see that creates the 15 to 20 to 30 people in our church that go to mass. Some parishes have a hundred. Those are the shoots and the remembrance, remnants of the faith. I have people that come to me every day that just want to sit and talk and say, we really appreciate your reverence on the altar, the respect for the Eucharist, the respect for the pastors and the priests, the respect for the congregation the smile and welcoming people as they come to the church. See, we as individual churchgoers are not individual churchgoers. We're a community of people. So in my diaconate walk, you're absolutely correct. I am the liaison between the pastor, because after the mass, the pastor has to go. You know, he's got to do something else. And I'm the deacon in the altar, setting up the altar, closing the church, cleaning the church. That's one of the roles that I've performed. And in that process, what I find is how easy it is to inspire other people to go out and talk to other people. See, that's my role. Who do you know that needs to be here that you don't know? It's no different than marketing any other thing. We market, you know, business and, but hey, I need to see so-and-so in the church. So as my role as a deacon in the second year has really just been sitting and listening 
being in prayer. You know, I did not get into contemplative prayer, icon prayer, until I went to a five-day silent retreat. Five-day silent retreat. I encourage anyone out there who has the opportunity to go to a five-day, not a three-day, a five-day retreat. And if you have an opportunity to go to a silent retreat, it is the most powerful, powerful experience that will get you into the sacred. I was sitting there night two looking at these icons going, all right, God, this is good. I'm silent. I need to be silent. I needed that experience. Looking at this icon, <laughs> wasn't happening. All of a sudden, the two Polish ladies at the end of the room, about 30 of us in this retreat, they started strumming that guitar. Stay with me. Remain with me. Stop and pray. The Taze music. Boy, it hit me deep. About she went and then as they were going, stay with me. Remain with me. Stop and pray. So I think silence in the church, contemplating everything in prayer, whether it's the rosary, taze music, just, and it brings you to a, a contemplative place that says, wow, I really am not worthy of where I am today. But thank you, God, for allowing me to be here. And I think that's what, I mean, that's when we can get into ourself like that, and you walk out saying, okay, there's something bigger than me, and it's not the government. It's spiritual, it's sacred, it's holy, it's innocent, it's patient, it perseveres with me, and it cares about me even if I fall. And that's where the world needs to get to. So I suggest that most people, especially young people, be silent, put on some Taizé music, and spend 15 to 20 minutes in front of the Blessed Sacrament, an hour. And when you walk out of there, you realize, you walk outside that church, you go, wow. God bless God and everything he's created in the world. Because then you start to see it all. You start to realize. Most of the people are telling you what they want you to do with your life didn't create all the things you see. I want to leave with this, if I could, this verse. Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Deacon Christopher Major, thank you for this catechesis and instruction on our return to the sacred. Thank you. God bless you, David. Thank you for the work you do. You're so vital to all of us. Amen.